I know I was talking about that the other day. I was like, man, I want to get back to reading like books and all this stuff. Because ever since you know my birthday, I've been like, now I'm feeling my mortality and on the downward slope now. And I was like, I don't have enough time to read as many comics and graphic novels as I read. Where am I? What am I going to read? Like War and Peace and all these classics I've always wanted to read. You're never going to, Roman. You're going to yeah. be reading weekly I got, comic I got books. To go through, <laughs> I got to go through my books, get rid of stuff. But they yeah. haven't given me books to friends and stuff. Like, oh, I'm never going to read this. Yeah. Yeah, you know, hey, you're never going to read War and Peace now, Roman. But you will be, you will have a more conceptual uh, ability to talk about any character on a monthly comic <laughs> book basis for like 30 years. I mean, you could read War and Peace, obviously. But, man, I would have thought Jango would be here by now. It's, you know, it's his, it's the podcast. His birthday's tomorrow. Mm. Uh, his birthday's tomorrow? Holy crap. This is a... Uh, I think the most poorly planned surprise party we've ever done. Uh, <laughs> did we confirm that he was going to be here? Um, I, I didn't. Oh. Well, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with this cake and this ice cream. Oh, well, I guess we're going to have to eat them. We're going to eat them both. I mean, we want them to go, go to waste. And Justin's not here, so could you not drape a bunch of melted ice cream into your chest hair? No, oh, I'm totally going to drape. I'm going to smear it in. Oh, God. You're going to rash out, rash <laughs> up. Well, um, I, I'm going to feel really bad because... Uh, you know, I had organized this surprise party uh, as Jango's birthday present and gotten him this amazing ice cream cake as his birthday present and got him this incredible, super expensive bottle of wine, which we've opened and it's not going to keep. Yep. Um, ice cream cake even has like a a, a, a frosting holster and, and six shooters on both sides. I thought that was such this, a great touch. Yeah. You had called me a couple of days ago. You said, make sure you <laughs> get so cute. the sexual cowboy set, you know, six shooter <laughs> thing. And so I guess that we'll just sort of have to eat it and... Hope he shows up and just feels it. Yeah, yeah. He'll hear the call, the clarion call. Is that him? Oh, it's not. <laughs> Gosh darn it, that guy. Well, I'll, I'll put out the Django call. He'll get it. He'll vibe out on it. Northwest premier source for comic book opinions, informed reviews of uh, sequential illustrated storytelling. It's a it's a cultural movement that we're doing here. We're just we're starting a bandwagon. We did two years ago. Now we just got millions of folks kind of hanging out with us here. We need a hashtag. We got a hashtag Papcast. Oh, oh, okay. We got that one. Yeah. And we got to get that new podcast in the. In the, the metaphorical docket, barbecue. The metaphorical barbecue. Mm. Uh, Justin and I are talking about that. We're going to do that. We're going to grill meats and everything. You got to be there. Oh, I'll be there. There's characters but, we're creating. Oh, characters. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Can't wait. Wow. Is he going to be like, like a vegan barbecue eater? <laughs> I don't think he's going to be vegan. Um, oh, that's right. Gluten free. Whatever. Something free. <laughs> I can never remember what it is. It's just free, like a barn swallow. Um, episode 124, sorry, we got distracted there. Uh, where every Tuesday we pick up a whole bunch of comic books and we sort of read them, love them, get excited about them, come back on Wednesday, you know, talk about them, give them to all of those people that we love so very, very much to come into our store. If you're a listener who doesn't come into our store, you should make the trek over to Bellingham, Washington and come say hi to us. Um, 
But uh, yeah, this week we got it's just uh, just Roman and I. It looks like Django's not here for a surprise yeah. birthday party. Yeah. Justin's keeping the house secure. I got to be honest. We were down at Emerald. I was down at Emerald City Comic Con this week. So it was Django. Uh, so we've had to do a sort of late recorded podcast for everybody. So hopefully this will go up on Monday, um, today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a quick turnaround. This week we're going to be talking about a good handful of books. But what I want to do, I think maybe just in the kind of moving forward, Roman, yeah, yeah. just in terms of like our vibe, our sort of comic book steez, I think maybe moving towards trying to do a little less spoiling. Okay, just a little a, less spoil. Okay. Just a, I we, mean, like, we can do that. We'll talk about the books and everything, but I don't want there to be any barrier between people reading these books. So if I, I want everyone to rest assured that if we're talking about a book, we might, we might give away plot points, but we're we're gonna work hard to avoid any big reveals that might, uh, you know, inhibit your ability to enjoy these comics. Yeah, let's try that. So spoilers, no spoilers. <laughs> well, not not very many spoilers. We are going to be talking about what happens in the books, though. So um, this week we've got a big docket. We're going to try and run through a lot of books um, with just a couple minutes per book. So uh, we got Little Bird number one, Assassination number one, Lagoon number one, uh, Belit number one, <laughs> <laughs> The Grim Knight number one. Oh, my gosh. Outer Darkness number five, Wonder Twins number two, Ms. Marvel number one, the magnificent Ms. Marvel number one, excuse me, uh, Superman number nine, number nine. <laughs> and Amazing Spider-Man number 17, and Gunning for Hits number three. So a lot of books that we're enjoying. Roman, this was a really big week of comics. It was a books. big week, yeah. And they were all... I, I, I can't look in this stack and see a book that I didn't like. I don't think that I just didn't like any books this week. I was pretty surprised by everyone that I read. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked everything. I mean, there was a couple that was a little like, eh, it wasn't quite as good as I was expecting, sure. but everything was worth reading. A thing that I did this week, and I'm not, I think it was maybe because we were going to the con and because, you know, we were going to be recording the podcast a little bit later and, and scheduling has just been really weird, but... I would say that I gave every book that I read about five more minutes than I normally would. Yeah. I usually read an issue in about 15 minutes, and I just sort of let myself linger on the art of uh, all of these books this week, and it ended up kind of paying off. I got blown away by some pretty good stuff oh. this week. Cool. Um, cool. Spoilers. Outer Darkness number five's art <laughs> just blew me away. But let's kick this thing off. Little Bird, number one, Darcy Van Polgeest and Ian Bertram, Matt Hollingsworth on colors. This is an image book that just dropped this week. It's going to be a five-issue miniseries. And we at this store are pretty on record as being big fans of Ian Bertram's art. He did House of Penance. Have you? Yes, House of Penance. Yeah. Which was, which was brilliant. And then just other stuff. I think covers. I think Colette had gotten a commission from him last year at the con. Uh, he's just got a super unique style. Everyone's got huge eyes. It's really liony. It's pretty grotesque. Yeah, it's it's in subtle ways. It's kind of manga esque. I think I could see that. Although um, manga's got a lot of or Roman's got a lot of zippy manga on his mind these days. I do. I do. Uh, yeah, I could be a little biased there. But yeah, especially in the eyes, the faces. I think. Um, Oh man, this 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 it's set in a future, uh, dystopian future, and and 
there's a very interesting thing where it appears I don't know if it's all of North America or just Canada has been um, taken over by by not politics and not money, not Wall Street. It's the government is ran by um, the religious organization, and I and it's not specific if it's. Catholic or what, or but it's probably yeah. Catholicism. So like a super culty, homogenized religious structure. Yeah, yeah. The American flag has been replaced. The stars have been replaced with a cross. Um, and it's not it's not a uh, open society. <laughs> Certainly not. Uh, we start in a, a small civilization, like a town, um, where we meet this young girl, but they're all. It looks like kind of poverty stricken, and it's I guess the Rocky Mountains in Canada, and it's clear that something bad is about to happen. So this mother, I believe it's a mother, uh, instructs her daughter to go hide underneath the ground. And she hides there for three days. And then when she gets back up, her whole town has been absolutely destroyed and just wrecked. So she goes on this revenge hunt. We, uh, she infiltrates this prison and finds this huge, huge muscular guy called the Axe. And there's some cool twists that happen with that. But she's just this like super violent, real badass young girl. Um, yeah, this is the first of five issues. The society itself is built in a really interesting way. The like the there's some weird stuff going on with the religious cult. Like they're like hanging out in pools of blood with organs everywhere. Uh, we got like these weird little priests that have all these tentacles. Like, the, yeah, it's it's pretty grotesque consistently. The character <laughs> design by Ian Burstrom is really surreal. I like his art is a thing to behold. It's got lots of small lines and it's super detailed, very uh, realistic while also being sort of way not realistic. Yeah, and there's some action sequences um, when the char- when the character of the axe uh, gets out of his cell. There's just some cool panel work with focusing on him as he g- gets up from a sitting position, and we see the sky above above the planet as these black dots are approaching. That those end up being something very dangerous, and it's just the sequence, the way Bertram drew that is is it's it's startling. It's suspense filled. Suspense flilled. Um What is interesting about this is in the write-up at the end, Roman, did you see that they said that they're not collecting this for a long yeah. time? Yeah, they're not going to do a trade paperback of this for apparently quite a while. And, you know, it, this maybe it's just the paper stock, but this feels thicker than a usual oh, yeah. first issue. It's a three ninety nine issue, and it's like 38 pages. It's almost oh. two full issue lengths. Okay. So I hope that all of the issues are this big. But Image does that thing where they uh, have – pretty big first issues just to get people hooked. Just like yeah. the best drug dealer. Here, have it for just a couple <laughs> bucks. Get a taste. And you'll be calling me at home in my underwear while I'm taking an ice bath because you need another fix. <laughs> you got that little bird number two? Come on, no, man. Come really? On. Don't say that. So what do you give it? Uh, I'll give this a solid nine. Yeah. I'm going to go 9.5. I think it's just, it got its teeth really deep in me. The art is... Uh, as I was reading it, I had the feeling that the last time I had was when The New World came out by Alice Scott and Trad Moore, where I just yeah. I was like two-thirds of the way through this, and I was like, this is special. Like, there's something about this book that is special. Yeah. So there's a, a really amazing alchemy happening here. I, I think people should check it out. Yeah, this is kind of in the realm of, like, Mobius and that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah super unique, just a whole unique worldview. Yeah. 
So next, let's talk about next? Assassination Assassination number one by Kyle Starks and Erica Henderson. Another image one from this week. That I, this one was hilarious. So this is written by the dude who did Rock Candy Mountain, which we talked oh. a fair amount about. Mm-hmm. And then Erica Henderson is doing the art, and she's the artist who had done, you know, all of the first couple of years of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. And the big conceit of this book is that the number one assassin in the world, who is now a crime boss, is uh, having some attempts made on his life. So he's hired the top 20 it was either 20 or 40 other assassins to be his bodyguards because, you know, who can keep somebody safe better than the people who are the best at killing him? And that's sort of the the plot in a nutshell. <laughs> but these assassins that he's hired, like, Kyle Starks is hilarious. I actually talked to him a bit at Emerald City Comic Con, and these all these other assassins are just, like, fucking ridiculous. There's one called Fernando, <laughs> and he's incredible. But my favorite was... Uh, <laughs> Where's his name? Is it Meat Stick? No, it's Fuck Tarkington. <laughs> fuck Tarkington. <laughs> whose name is just, yeah, fuck. Is he the one that shows up and he's just like wearing overalls yeah. and no shirt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kyle Starks has a really unique sense of humor. Like it's kind of dumb and it's also <laughs> sort of sarcastic. Um, but yeah, he's he's got a really unique, really unique tone and I'm really... Really pumped to have a book from him. Like, we really liked Rock Candy Mountain coming out. Uh, I can't think of the other ones he's written besides that one, but this is sort of, I would say, his most high-profile thing to date just because Erica Henderson's on it. Yeah, yeah. And this and this is, uh, you know, I guess standard side issue, first issue. And he's got 20 characters, well, including people that aren't assassins. He's got like 21, 22 characters in here. And he gives each of them... He, he so well gives each of them their their unique voice. You see their personality, yeah. um, their actions. Everybody stands out. Yeah, everybody's got a really strong, hilarious personality. Like it's, he's a really great writer. Yeah, yeah, this is very impressive. Put a lot of storytelling in here. Um, one of my favorite moments in here, Roman, was when one of the early assassins shows up and he's talking about how. Yeah, he, he's got, like, the first assassin starts showing up, and they're talking about, like, their, the, the assassin who shows up, his white, or no, sorry, no, his partner has been murdered. Um, and he's talking about how, you know, once, once he was married, he was no longer sort of pursuing a thing. Like, that kind of took a lot of the air of novelty out of his life, and he, he missed the, the, the part of his life when he was young and on the rise yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, that's the top achievement. And then the person talking to him says, uh, when I was married, all I ever thought about was how lucky I was to find in the shared mirror to my soul, a beacon of light to walk with me through this awful, dark, shitty world. And then the, the callous guy who was talking, he says, well, you clearly had a different experience than me, which is just like the, I love that, like, yeah, I kind of resent my, how my marriage has made me complacent. And this other dude's just like, oh, I had the exact opposite. Well, yeah. Never mind. Yeah, I guess we just had different experiences. Yeah, that was a great glimpse of how this guy, <clears throat> his personality. Because, yeah, he talked about how he missed the, the hunt, the adventure of dating, the game of dating. Right, like, yeah. Wow. The thing that, you know, most of us are like, oh, God. <laughs> right. Well, unfortunately, there's plenty of people who are very into that game, as it were. Yeah, and then, oh, well, I don't want to spoil that. Um, I really like this. I, I didn't really expect... I didn't really know what to expect of it, and then I noticed it was Erica Henderson. Um, I thought but, it was just sorry. Oh, go ahead. I just thought it was such a strange pair up at first. 
Yeah. Like Rock Candy Mountain guy who does a lot of his own art in storytelling. And then Erica Henderson, who all things <laughs> considered does pretty wholesome books, I guess, to sort of typecast her from Squirrel Girl. Yeah. But when I was, I've talked to both of them at the convention, and it turns out that several years ago, at they went to a convention like Heroes Con, and they were just their booths were put right next to each other, mm-hmm. and they just became huge, quick friends, and they've just stayed good wow. friends. So, uh, because he finished his other books and she was no longer doing Squirrel Girl, they were just like, well, let's do a thing together. And they both love like '90s action movies and stuff. So, God, that's so cool. That's like everybody's like comic book dream. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Make a good buddy and do a book together. And I, I was sorry, I started laughing during that because. Not only because of that story, but <clears throat> I happen to flip into the page where uh, Fernando shows up, mm-hmm. um, and everybody, everybody's so impressed. And one, you know, one person is is one guy wants everybody to this guy named Dave who just seems like a normal schlub, yeah. and he's trying to get every, all the other assassins to sign his his autograph book. And this other woman is like, "Oh, I tried to figure out how you did this hit in Uzbekistan. I tried to recreate the geometry," and she's all technical about it, and he he signs Dave's autograph book and he says Fernando used the only weapon he ever needs and that weapon is Fernando <laughs> the deadliest weapon in Todo El Mundo and it shows the autograph he gave to Dave which just says fuck off cabron <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, if you want a book that is will make you laugh this book will make you laugh and, and it did it in a in a really fun way and of course you get 20 assassins together in a room things are not gonna go super smoothly yeah and even the sound effects oh um, yeah there's this one sound effect, Tromad, which is a reference to trauma films that were very, oh, like the Toxic Avenger and okay. Class of Nukem High. And then also at the end, there's this hilarious, like they want to get a letters page going, but obviously the first issue, so they, they can't do this. So it's Kyle Starks interviewing himself, no, like writing <laughs> letters to himself and then responding to his letters himself. Dude's really funny. I think everyone should check this book out. I give it a nine. Yeah. Yep. Nine for sure. This, this had me laughing a lot. All right, well, another book that had you laughing and I read because uh, I got a very funny text message from you about it. The Goon, number one by Eric Powell, Rachel Cohen. What's the deal with the... What's, hey, what's the deal with the goon? <laughs> what's the deal? With what's the, goon? the deal with the goon? <laughs> He's a goon. Um, this is The Return of the Goon, Eric Powell's creation. And, 20 years. Yeah, and Eric Powell did it for a number of years, self-published, and then I think it's through Dark Horse. Um, the goon and his little buddy, Frankie, um, the goon's a great big hulking goon, um, and just really strong, no superpowers, and his buddy Frankie's just a regular old Joe. With giant white eyes. <laughs> With giant white eyes, um, like little orphan Annie. Um, and they live in Lonely Town, which is this horrible, desolate, always overcast, always gray stinky place that used to be originally the goon went there because they the zombie king um had an army of zombies was always turning people into zombies and a you know attacking people in town he was the crime boss of lonely town and there was like another crime boss later and that was a monster and so it's just kind of gross thuggy crime comic along with vampires and ghouls and zombies and and witches it's a gross thuggy crime comic but was it always funny yeah yeah, and I, I, as far as I remember, yeah, I always remember it being funny. It's a unique tone of funny. I don't quite yeah. know how to describe it. Yeah, and for a while later on, I kind of fell off the goon because it got a little more serious and less funny, and then I kind of got bored with it. Then this is back to being 
a good mix of funny and serious. But yeah, it's it's a very unique tone. It's like a dark macabre yeah. slapstick. Yeah, yeah, Cause, yeah, because it's not. Uh, I mean, you definitely wouldn't want the kids reading this. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So they get back into town. And it's, there's a sort of meta thing going on, which is like they're like, oh, we finally come back home. And, you know, it's kind of speaking to this return of these characters. And they go back to this town and they're looking for a place to stay in this creepy uh, – your real estate guy shows up who just looks like the <laughs> sketchiest creepy guy and he's going to show them all these places and he's like, this lovely bungalow has gold fixtures, designer lighting, spacious toilets, and a death curse. They go to the next place. <laughs> Original windows, handmade bricks, lickable floors, and a death curse. Hardwood throughout, gravy showers, and a meat basement, and a death curse. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's like a weird... I've never read The Goon before, so I was excited to check this out and I... It didn't disappoint. In fact, I liked it more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, and I love that guy. His his horrible, gnarled, yellow, rotting teeth. And, and his, yeah, like his one, and, crazy hair. Yeah, and one big, like, amber-colored pupil, and the other one was this tiny little lazy-eyed dot <laughs> pupil. <laughs> and it's such an interesting – Eric Powell's art style, and I, I can't speak to, obviously, the history of the book, but you'll have panels that have the art that's, you know, kind of cartoony, but then you get these weird – there's a lot of like almost watercolory painterly stuff interspersed yeah. throughout it. Like you'll get multiple art styles per page. Is that something that he's always done? Is that has it always been a mixture of those styles? Yeah, I mean that comes and goes. I mean the early days, uh, the first few issues of the the Goon miniseries, the very very first one, I think that if I remember right, that was black and white, um, okay. and a little more standard. Um, once the character started to take off a little bit and get to be a little cult following, he started experimenting more. Um, as so they, you know, not much of a spoiler, but they get a house by the end, and as they're resting in there, there's three gorgeous pages of that this sort of like penciled, shadowed, watercolor mm. look, and you, know, you got homeless people walking around, and this vampire guy goes and kills a homeless person, sucks their blood, and then goes up to the window of the house and sees them sleeping. Uh, and he says, you should have never come back, goon. Is that a character that's been around before? Vinny Nosferatu? I don't remember him. Because it's a very familiar looking character. And I've never read it. Yeah, yeah. And I don't remember if he's been around before or not. Um, that kind of face. We've kind of seen that kind of style face before from Eric Powell. I give this one an eight. It, it was cool to be able to jump into this story with these characters that I've seen the images of and get such a strong feeling of their voice and the world itself, which is totally unique and and not feel like I was missing a ton. I, I If you're interested in it, if you like that sort of slapsticky, macabre, dark humor, I think that you'd really like this. It's kind of reminds me of gross toenails and the whole thing makes me think of Django. <laughs> you know, because Django, the gross toenail born. Not that he's got anything. That, Django, I think you've got great toenails. <laughs> yeah, and I loved seeing this. I mean, I'll, I'll yeah, I'll give it a, I'll go to nine. Woofers. Because um, I, I love the goon. I love this world. I love Frankie. I love the slapstick. There's a three panel, four panel sequence when Goon and Frankie are standing there, oh, you know, yeah. listening to the realtor talk, and all of a sudden a radiator goes flying by behind the goon. And he kind of looks to the side, like, did a radiator just fly by here? And then he gets clocked in the head by another car part. And Frankie didn't see the radiator. He sees the goon get clocked in the head. And he's like, no, that's a cylinder head, not a radiator. Just like totally commonly, not, not even concerned that the goon just got hit in the head with this thing. Right. Um, next, we have Age of Conan, 
Belit, which I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. but Well, here at the Perfectly Acceptable Pronunciation Cast, uh, <laughs> we have a sort of hold your hand out. Let me slap it. Uh-uh. Oh. Mm. Oh, God. I bet you liked that. I did like that. Oh, <laughs> fuck. It's hard to punish this guy. Uh, um, uh, in fact, Colban. Oh, I mispronounced that, too. Here, so oh, let me get Get your hand away. Um, this the, is the third of the Conan The third of the series. new Conan books. Um, and Belit is a character. She's the pirate queen that Conan hung out with and and I guess you could say dated in modern parlance. Do you think that they did it? They, they did it. Ew, All over that pirate any, ship. Did you see any of the didits in here? I, I didn't, know. No, on Seven Sword of Conan, yeah, you did. You see the didits? <laughs> yeah. With yeah. him and Belit? If I remember correctly, yeah, I'm sure. Oh, they did. Because that was the adult. The you know, I used to sneak Savage Sword of Conan into my class and, and, and on the school bus and like read it in secret because it had naked ladies. Whoa, how naked? <laughs> All naked. What? How'd you get it? How did I get it? I think an older person gave me some issues, or my dad might have. One of my dad's friends might have gave me some issues. I knew where they knew I was in the comics. People. Yeah, you know. Don't give kids porn, people. Come on. <laughs> and this, anyway, this is her, written by uh, Teeny Howard, and artist is Kate Nimesick. And I don't, I know, I can't remember what Teeny Howard. What else? A good number of stuff. Yeah. I'll do a yeah, quick check. Yeah, it's a known name. So this is basically the origin of of Belit, um, which I don't know if we ever got that back in the 70s. She's a character that's been around since the 70s from the Marvel Conan comics. Um, not sure if she was in the Robert E. Howard original stories in the 20s. Um, but this is her or- origin story and the little seaside village that she lives in with her father who is – a ex-pirate captain, but still has still has some sh- a ship of his own, and maybe ships. Um, and she's a young woman that craves adventure. Uh, she thinks she sees um, sea monsters out out in the bay, and she rings the alarm bell and everything. And her father comes, and he's like, you know, it's the days of of sea beasts are long gone. And you know, I know I know you want to adventure, but he wants her to go to you know probably go to school and not become a pirate captain. And that's all she wants to do. So she becomes a pirate captain in it? Um, well, she wants to actually, he sends her out. Oh, she goes out in, in a boat to go. I forget what she's doing, but she goes out in a boat and she looks back and sees these men show up and and debt collectors that go after her father. And that sets off a, a, a string of events that leads to her being on a pirate ship. And doing it with Conan. No, Not no, no Conan yet. Well, no. But I don't I mean, know if in Con- the long run. Yeah, Conan probably won't show up for like I don't know how long the story's going to be. Um, but if it was going to be ongoing, he wouldn't show up for probably like thirty issues. Okay. Um, Teeny Howard has written. She seems like a total badass. She was like she's a Valkyrie. She's done some Power Rangers writing. She's also done some Roman WWE comics. Oh, there we go. Hi, hello. Oh, I wonder. She did the book Euthanos, which we talked about on the oh, podcast yeah. uh, six or so months ago. Yeah, Euthanos was pretty good. Hack Slash. So she's done a fair number of stuff. She did that for Horsewomen, like the awesome ladies in the WWE oh, cool. story arc. Wow. She's she's written about Bailey. Yeah. So, <laughs> what do you think about the interior art? This definitely looks different than the other two Conan books, but this it, is just sort of world of Conan. It does. It does. And at at first glance, um, I wasn't sure I'd like it because it looked a little too, little too clean, little too loose. No. By the numbers. Yeah, a little too well, a little too cartoony and and clean and colorful for a Conan book. Um, but the writing really. 
once I started reading, I forgot about those concerned concerns. Um, I'm not sure why exactly Belit is so pale. I mean, she's she's pure white skinned, and her father isn't. So I don't know if that's just a artistic choice or if there's a reason mm-hmm. for that. Um, yeah, she is very pale. Yeah, but I ended up liking it. All right. Well, let's uh let's step over here. Have you have you met my friend, the Caped Crusader? I have. Have you met his counterpart, the Grim Knight? The not, Grimish Knight. Not often, because you know one of the things about Batman, the, the Cape Crusader, that's cool is he doesn't use gun. This, this Batman's got tons guns. of guns. I don't uh, know how he fits all these guns underneath his cape. <laughs> this is a one shot spinning out of the Batman Who Laughs, which is a mini series that spun out of Batman Metal, Dark Knight's Metal, mm-hmm. uh, written by Scott Snyder. This one's got backup by James Tinian the Fourth. And what's really cool about this is the art is by Eduardo Rousseau who I haven't really seen do stuff since that Flashpoint Batman tie-in. They did 100 Bullets and some other, you know, stuff with Azarello, but uh, I haven't really seen Riso in a while. Yeah, I, don't, I forget what he last did, too. Um, this follows that same pattern that the one-shots that were coming out of Batman, uh, Dark Knight's Metal, rather, were following, like uh, The Drowned and The Red Death and and those sort of in the Batman Who Laughs. Uh, so this is just a one-shot detailing the origin of a parallel reality Batman where when his parents were shot in Crime Alley, the criminal dropped the gun and young Bruce picked up the gun and shot him and how that decision sort of drastically changed his life from no longer being, you know, the noble Batman, but to being a fucking brutal dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the elevator pitch of this is um, Bruce Wayne becomes the Punisher Batman. Yeah, that's a um, good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to have read any of the previous uh, Batman Who Laughs storylines. No, I'm behind on that. To, to get into this. Um, and this was another comic that I actually, I wasn't going to read it. And I thought, well, what the heck, I'll give it a shot. Um, because I'm kind of, I'm a little tired of the Batman who laughs. Me too. And the Grim Knight has showed up as basically his sidekick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and here we get a great compelling origin story for this character that I I didn't think was compelling. Um, but yeah, this, this Bruce Wayne, the fact that in that pivotal moment, he lets, he lets his anger take over and he kills the criminal that killed his parents. And it's, it's. It's very shocking and effective. I wasn't going to read it, and then I flipped through the art, and it's incredible. Like, half of it, the current day stuff, is told through um, the art style of a typical Eduardo Riso. So, you, hmm. you know, you've got, like, the Flashpoint Night of Vengeance story about Thomas Wayne being Batman uh, and 100 Bullets style, the Broken City Batman arc. It's really great. But it's, you know, strong lines, kind of flat colors, uh, lots of shadows, and and I really like Rousseau's art. I think I think they do uh, some really nice stuff. But the other half of the story, the portion that's told uh, the the origin of the character, is that same line work. But then it's all I don't know how I would describe this. Is it watercolor? It's very painterly. It's not Alex Ross, but it's like it's very brushy and. Uh, I don't know, very painty. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I don't, I'm not sure if it would quite be watercolor maybe it is um but yeah it's it's such a different a different tone i mean a few times i thought i thought wait is this different artist no it's all riso and it's just amazing him switching back and forth like this you know what's crazy is that 
the artist is Eduardo Rousseau, but the colorist is Dave Stewart. So I wonder, it doesn't, we have no way of knowing, but I bet that Dave Stewart colored all of it. So that work relationship for this issue, mm-hmm. I think would be really fascinating to hear about how did they distinguish that difference in style? Yeah. Uh, how did they, you know, establish how different it was going to be? Because there's a really interesting thing going on here. It's it's really beautiful. Um, I, I couldn't, I, just from an artistic perspective, I, th- I think it's one of the more beautiful comic books that's come out in the last couple of months. And this is another one that really benefited from just slowing down and letting every panel breathe a yeah. lot. Yeah, yeah, it really did. Um, and just some of the stuff, how the, the cops, everyone really, really fears this Batman because they all know he's he's a murderer and nuts and won't hesitate to kill. Yeah, at one point, uh, James Gordon, you know, uses the bat signal to get, you know, it, the James Gordon in the other world of the Grim Knight um, doesn't trust that Batman and it's against him because he's a violent vigilante. And they they use the bat signals to try and get him to come to a spot. And as soon as he gets there, uh, he has this whole SWAT team, and they're all ready to take him down. And they use magnets to sort of disarm him. And they're like, and we just like paid all this money to get upgraded Wayne Tech armor suits. And you know he doesn't know he's Bruce Wayne, obviously. And he says, yes, you did. And then he sets off these explosives and all the armor that kills all of the cops except for Gordon. And it's just this, like, really brutal, like, fuck, this guy is a bad dude. And he's just monitoring and watching everything. So, again, Gordon is going on the run, trying to hide from him, and he hasn't been seen in months. And he's, like, staging this sort of attempted coup against him. And Batman's, you know, like, big brother watching everybody. And it's really uh, pretty disturbing. Like, Bat... It really establishes that, like, Batman is really only one step away from being a really bad dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a scene where, um, a page where he stops uh, a, cr- a criminal in an alley about to to rob and maybe kill this couple with their son. And Batman stops it from happening um, in a... In a permanent way and <laughs> the, he kills him and and the little boy starts crying and the father's trying to comfort his son and say no no stop crying this this was good you know we we have to smile right the batman is always watching we need to say thank you and they're forcing their smiles yeah and it's just like that it's just like that scene in uh, that twilight zone episode with the kid who wishes people into the cornfield yeah yeah well they're like no no that's good that's good yeah, yeah. everybody smile because they're all so terrified is that the one where they make him just sit and, or maybe I'm thinking of an X Files episode where they just make him sit and watch television for the rest yeah. of his life? Yeah, they're yeah. trying to like, you know, just put your shows time. on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a really well done story. Uh, I I like this more than the Batman Who Laughs for sure. Yeah, me too. I only read the first issue of that and I was like, yeah, you know, that was a cool character for one story. I don't want him in the regular DC universe. <laughs> uh, I give this one an 8.5. Really good comic yeah. book. Shockingly good. That's a good – I also give 8.5, 8.5 uh, caliber bullet things because I don't understand guns. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Roman, did you read Outer Darkness number five? I did. John Lehman, Afu-chan. Not a lot really new to say about this book Uh that we all in the store love. Ashton loves it. Justin loves it. I, all of us are, are loving it. I think Django's also really liking it. 
This continues the story. It's the penultimate issue of this first arc that is going to continue. But, uh, you know, we've got a traitorous demon spirit on board who is killing members of the ship. But this issue, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but this, like, really, this, the art just floored me, this issue. I got, like, two-thirds of the way through the issue, and I was, I was doing the thing where I was just sort of giving every page... You know, almost a full more minute, which doesn't sound like that much of a thing to be doing, but just staring at the room construction and the vanishing points within the room and all of the the bins and angles of the walls and the alcoves, this is another just like really special bit of art. It reminds me of Frank Quitely uh, hmm. in, in certain ways, like the... Yeah. Every line is perfect, and the way that, like, the intensity or depth of the line, you know, fades uh, to distinguish, like, you know, like, elbow creases. Like, there's I, – I'm just so, so happy that Justin had introduced this art, artist to me um, a while back. They, they're incredible. Afu-chan is just – the book – the story is very, very good, but the art just – is, is a thing that's, I think, absolutely incredible. There's a couple pages in, the ship gets hit, and they have to take a, an emergency landing on a, a ice planet, and it crashes. But there's this double-page splash spread of the ship that has crashed in the snow, and you've got these mountains behind it, and there's this amazing sort of gradient perspective as there's people lining the outside of the ship. And not only does it show, like, the depth uh, he's he's so well conveys how close things are to sort of the camera of the reader, mm-hmm. but it's like this was the first time that I got the scope of this ship, which is enormous, and it's I don't know it's like it, it doesn't happen that often where you can put people next to structures and it really makes sense and conveys how huge the building is. I, I don't know if that makes sense. It, it does. It does because yeah, I mean. I can't think of bad examples of this at the moment, but even the way he kind of draws this uh, haziness at the at the closest perspective of the, of the downed ship that's behind, and they're setting up their um, their temporary uh, tents encampments for shelter. Um, just that haziness kind of adds to the immensity of it. Um, no, for sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Actually, it's kind of that feeling of you can look at a ship in the bay, and it's like, well, there's a ship. But when you get close to like a docked ocean liner or something, you're like, you look up at it, and you're like, this thing is fucking yeah. huge. Yeah, when you're that close, it's hard to take it all in. Yeah, um, and and the way, the fact that they were able to convey that uh, in this double page spread is just astounding. Like this is probably my f- well. Little Bird's art was amazing, but I would say that this and Little Bird had my just favorite art of the week. Yeah, and this is my favorite art art issue on this series so far. I mean, even and even the little things uh, like the I forget the name of the kind of witch character, um, but just she's looking at herself in the mirror once when she's in another character's room, and just the expression on her face—it's very coy, and also and it's disturbing, and it's just. It's so well done. Yeah, I love that. She's this, like, beautiful sexual cat creature who's naked and you don't see any overt nudity or you see her butt and she's just beautiful. And then she looks in a, a, a mirror and in her reflection uh, she sees, like, this old, aged version of herself. But yeah, I'm not and, sure. that's, and I think that's 
that's really that's what she really looks like because yeah. when she was on the deck in previous issues, that's what she looks like. Okay, and I'm not sh- yeah, I'm excited to learn what's going on with that. But I also, you know, I did assume that, but I also like appreciated that it's in that panel alone. Like it's a it, you can look at that as a singular piece of art that sort of just talks about that flaw mm. that we all have about no not being able to perceive our own beauty. And I was reading yeah. this issue uh, next to Sam, and I was like, Sam, look at this. And there's just such a melancholic statement that's being made there. Like, I think that, you know, it's obviously the story. She's this thing disguising herself. But it's also just like, man, you can be the most beautiful, sexy cat creature in the world. And, you know, to yourself, you look in the mirror, and all you see is these sad flaws in yourself. And it's just such a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. And even the other way around, maybe you – know the the push to make yourself all beautiful to the point that is you know where does the fakeness come in um yeah yeah so i mean you know i i i'm going to give this one a 10 <laughs> ooh i i really, the table. Jeez. really <laughs> liked a uh, little bird and i I think on one level that was maybe my favorite book of the week, but this book was just, I don't know. It's got such a unique niche spot to me. I love it. There's nothing like it. The art, there's nothing like it. It makes me appreciate cartoony art, which I don't normally. Uh, and, it's just, yeah, it made me feel like I was learning a new I was learning how to appreciate a new thing as I was yeah. reading it. And I think this was yeah. the best issue of the series for me. Mm-hmm. So far, and a lot of that was to do with the art, but the story is amazing. Yeah, this was the best issue so far for me. I'll, I'll give this one a 10. Uh, <laughs> just their discussion, um, trying to break up into teams and the tensions when they're on the surface of this planet and they have to get protection because um, it's it's an ice planet. They're on Hoth um, <laughs> and they've got to get shelter and protection up and there's still the tensions. The captain's still a prick. Um, but maybe he's right. We don't know still. And yet, and then the uh, the what's the quote from Wash, the um, about betrayal from Firefly? Yeah, I'm not your guy. Okay. The, well, the inevitable betrayal that happens is shocking, and and I was very very shocked. <laughs> we have just gotten more and more people jumping on this book, and I think that that's absolutely the right response I, I it's such everyone who's read this book has been like oh yep i'm gonna be getting this i haven't had <laughs> somebody read this yet who doesn't like it so if you have liked um uh, john lehman stuff in the past if you dug chew this is not at all like it but it does mm-hmm. that same strange juxtaposition of very dark mature sophisticated writing with a very cartoony art style that just there's a really amazing synergy yeah, yeah. And at first, I found that a little jarring, but I'm really liking it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. It's, Cover's got a kitty. Oh, I love kitties. <laughs> yeah, just uh, it's one of the books I look forward to more than anything uh, at this point. Let's move on to Wonder Twins, number two, by Mark Russell and Stephen Byrne. Roman, you read this one, and uh, <laughs> I was kind of on the fence about reading it. I love Mark Russell. I was, you know, going to inevitably, but yeah. I the first issue of this series really didn't grab me. It seemed yeah. sort of directionless. Yeah. What did you think of this one? I loved this one. This this one is fantastic. Well, you know, I liked, I was reading this and I, I thought it was so funny that on our last podcast, you made that statement about prisons and like how private prisons oh. are a different thing. And then I kind of ribbed you a little bit about 
you know, the fact that you were clarifying that, and then you, I don't know that you got my ribbing, but uh, <laughs> I don't think I did. Actually, I, I thought like, man, Roman's got opinions about prisons, and then this one is. This book felt more to me like an issue of the Flintstones than mm. most uh, Mark Russell stuff has in a while. Yeah, we're sort of taking this socio-political issue about prisons and putting it in a, a comical wrapping, and then tying in a bunch of other like. Well, tell me about this issue. Um, I, I wanted to see where you were going to go with that. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, we open up and there's this villain in a in a Lexicon, uh, or Lex is it Lexicon? I think it's Lexicon. Lexicon. Page that's that's page. that's cute. Um, private prison, and this is a guy we've never seen before. The Scrambler. The Scrambler. Which when they let him out, they give him back his costume. Well, didn't um, he? I think he sneaks. Oh yeah, yeah. Down. When he escapes. He gets his costume back, and I didn't get the joke at first. I was like, "Why is there a fried egg on his?" He's scrambling. His shirt? Yeah, it's like, well, shouldn't it be scrambled egg then? But you know, that's just one of the. Do you think that peanut butter would be good on pizza? Sure, there's pizzas that have peanuts on them, so sure. I've been on this peanut butter burger thing lately. Hmm. Sorry, I just that for some of the scrambled egg made me think about peanut butter pizza. God, I really want peanut butter now. Yeah, <laughs> damn it. Justin's um, probably got some. <laughs> he probably does. Uh, so we meet this villain, and he gets out. He escapes the private prison by using his powers. Um, and it turns out that Zan and Jaina, with their their school class, are going on a a field trip to the prison. They were supposed to go someplace much cooler, but. Lost the funding. Oh, the planetarium. Yeah, they lost their funding. So they go to this horrible private prison where some of the commentary here is great because the prisoners are being forced to work as a call center. Um, And the person giving the tour to the kids. It says lexicon prison and call center. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The person giving the tour to the kids is trying to, like, put a positive spin on all this. And, of course, um, Jaina, who's the smarter of the two, of the Wonder Twins, is asking the pointed questions that the tour guide is just like, oh, the customer service skills they learned here will be invaluable in the outside world. <laughs> um, you know, and it's a freaking call center. And so they get kicked off the tour and they have to go back and sit in the bus. Um, it was a very entertaining issue. There was Beast Boy shows up. Superman's here briefly. We're um, introduced to this... Uh, we're talking to Lex, who runs the prison, and the Scrambler gets out, and he wants to join the Legion of Doom. They're like, well, we've got a bit of, like, a farming team that's not quite the Legion of Doom. Like, we're not just giving, giving out position to the Legion of Doom. But this is called the League of Annoyance. And so we – this sort of – a big thing that happens is – the battle that happens is the Wonder Twins versus Baron Nightblood, which is a thing that I – this is my favorite part of this story, which is that there's this vampire on the League of Annoyance – who feeds off of other people, but if he feed like if he feeds off somebody who's had alcohol, he's gonna get a little drunk and he has been thirty days sober at this point. He's trying to get over this alcoholism that he's got because in feeding off people he so frequently is acquiring blood and you know, he's talking about how, yeah, you get one person who's just had a glass of white wine and then you wake up the next day and you're surrounded by a bunch of people <laughs> and like he's trying to, you know, trying change. To bodies outside a liquor store. And the League of Annoyance is trying to like, Well, we gotta, you know, we need to do something. Like, can't you just go and fight off like feed off a bunch of people? He's like, Come on, I serve a greater purpose than that. Uh, and I love that his greater purpose is is we can start a troll farm, you know, you know, really take it to the Justice League on social media. <laughs> That's his big plan. Which is such a Mark Russell thing. But uh, so they, they convince him, like, hey, you just got to go out and be a vampire. And so he's going out to feed on some people and the Wonder Twins show up, beat the shit out of him. And he's 
then taken back into the, the prison system. And this is sort of where it all kind of then got connected, which is Zana, Zan and Jane. Jaina and Zan. Yeah, Jaina is the girl. Uh, they're sort of questioning, like, well, we're just superheroes and we just, like, fight criminals and they go into the prison system and then the prison system is just using them to, a, you know, a means to a sort of different corporate end. Like, what role do we play? Are we even making a positive thing if we're really just creating people for Lex to use as a, to make more money? Like, are we stopping crime? And they're making the statement of, like, well, you... Beast Boy is kind of there as a teacher, and he says, well, you you all just, you do well, you do good, but you do it within the, the realms of what your society can do. Hmm. But, yeah, uh, but Jana's still like, but, you know, we're, ba- I think she says somewhere in here, I mean, this is basically a slave force, which, yeah, exactly. in a private prison, yeah. But uh, Baron Nightblood, who they all call Druncula, and he's always like, I, that's not my name. <laughs> and he says, like, well, we bring him to the prison. I'm sorry, Druncula. He said, that, that the name is hurtful. But he gets they don't have room for him because the prisons are filling up, so they have to put him in the drunk tank. And the final page is that they go into the drunk tank, and everyone's dead, and he's sitting there drunk after feeding all these people. And he's saying, I never wanted any of this. And they say, oh, no, what have we done? I was sober for 30 days, <laughs> is the final uh, <laughs> caption. And I don't know. It's just this was that classic Mark Russell thing of how do you get this many issues? Like th- he, he's a social braider. He's taking three strings hmm. of issues and he's braiding them into this strong rope. Like he he can tie issues together into a narrative that is entertaining but sad and serious and thought-provoking, yeah. and it's just this is what he does best. Yeah, and it's all very entertaining. It's like the stuff he did, <clears throat> excuse me, with uh, Tonto, and by extension, applied to the Native Americans in the Old West, the American Old West, mm-hmm. in the Lone Ranger, um, and now doing it here in this issue with the private prisons and the next issue, of course. Um, and, and it's so impressive that he can do that without like beating your head with you know big panels that say private prisons are bad. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> um, even the little comment, the little thing like they, the, when they bring in, um, Druncula, the Druncula to, uh, sorry, Druncula. The name is hard for um, <laughs> To the prison and they give, uh, Zan and Jaina one of those old beeper type things like you get when you're like, like a fat pie pizza. It'll let you know when your pizza's ready. Mm-hmm. And they give that to them. They go, oh, we'll let you know when you can pick them up and, <laughs> Yeah. And it's just, it's just, you know, people is a commodity and, you know, it doesn't matter what you do with these people as long as they're like locked behind some kind of door. I hope that we spend some more time with the League of Annoyance in this series. I also <laughs> just thought like the very comical conversation about Druncula being sober and them wanting him to be a vampire. And even though that means that maybe he has to risk his sobriety is this comical conversation, but it actually was a real poignant you know, point about, I think people who have substance abuse issues, particularly alcohol, it's hard. You so often will get people trying to get them to drink again because they're more fun when they do that. And I think yeah. that people, you know, especially with alcohol, they, they talk about like feeling like they need it to be a person. And to, to have had that conversation broached in this issue, like I would say that, you know, anybody working on sobriety could enjoy this issue because it, it is a poignant statement about how uh, society kind of puts you in a box. And if you yeah. use a substance a lot, 
yeah, uh, wants you to be well. That 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 defines you. So you know, yeah. do that. Otherwise, we're all gonna just you know ignore you. And fuck that. Like yeah. fuck that. I would say that I'm super super proud of people who are able to kick bad habits like that or addictions. So yeah, I think this book would help somebody struggling like that. So anyway, uh, I give this one an eight point five. Really good comic. Yep. Yep. I'll give this one a nine. God, I don't think I've given any lower scores yet today. Tell me about the magnificent Miss Marvel number one. Ooh, let's see. This is a, oh, this is one of the first ones I read. Oh, this is the first the new the new reboot. Well, not reboot, but the the new series um, written by uh, Saladin Ahmed um, with writing or art by Minkyu Jung. Um, wow, I like the art. Yeah, I did too. This this was I like it. I think even a little more than the previous series art. This is a little bit more. Wow. Um, Realistic faces, figures. I mean, of course, you know, she, Ms. Ms. Marvel's a shape changer, so that that's funny to say realistic with that power. But, yeah, the faces are just more real. Yeah, um, the coloring is really nice, too. It almost you, kind of makes me think of uh, Andrea Raujo. Yeah, and it continues, the you know, the subplots with her relationships with her friends and her family, um, with her brother starting his new family, getting married. Um Though they had some new wrinkles, of course, that her family finally, they knew she was Ms. Marvel, and they had some new wrinkles here around that. Where what sort of wrinkles? Are they mad? Well, I don't, I don't, I, I want to avoid the spoiler. Well, I mean, I don't <laughs> think it's too much of a spoiler. I would okay, say big okay. deaths, big reveals, things um, like that we should be shying away from. But, you know, I think that talking about what happens there is fine. Um, I well, haven't read it, and I want to know. Well, her mother – I said that. I misspoke. Her mother knew she was Ms. Marvel. The father didn't know. The mother finally told him um, – which, of course, Ms. Marvel, who's Kamala, is uh, – she's in high school. She feels betrayed by this. Her father feels betrayed because he didn't know about this. And they're worried about her. And they finally have put their foot down in this issue and say, you know, you can't you can't continue to be Ms. Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the main conceit of this. Yeah, here. yeah, which, of course, Kamala is not going to take that. Right. Um, but, you know, she lives under their roof. What is she What is she going to do? Um and then there's she has to you know then there's a werewolf space werewolf guy attacking her best friend art. who used to be a romantic interest and and yeah the art with this I mean the art's amazing this battle this there's a one panel that's a big a large panel showing her using her shape changing power with the giant fist and it's the coolest single panel I think I've seen of her using her power that way um, and then something really gross happens gurgle gurgle <laughs> and it's it's a very fun issue, and it ends with her going back home and and confronting her parents. But then, but then I won't ruin, I won't spoil this. And then something shocking, another shocking ending oh, happens. Wow! <laughs> yeah, wowza! And big mystery with there. And yeah, this is off to a great start with uh, 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 Ahmed's first issue. We are gonna see a Ms. Marvel movie at some point. This character is incredibly popular. G. Willow yeah. Wilson. Uh, created this incarnation of her and just did such an amazing job and she was writing it for years and just everybody was reading it and every type of person you know just like old white dudes are reading this book and then young teens as well and uh, she's a really important character and I was I hadn't gotten on board at the beginning of it and I was always a little intimidated by trying to jump into this series that had been so long running Mm -hmm. but if you are all interested in this character or if you're just looking for you know, a younger superhero with uh, a different voice. I Yeah, I think this is probably a really good jumping on point. I'm excited to read this. I just, 
didn't have quite enough time driving to Seattle and back yeah. three times this week. Yeah, it's and you know it's set in New Jersey, and right from the beginning, I felt like, wow, this is, you know, we a lot long time yeah, new readers love Peter Parker and and Miles Morales, and for the high school thing, you know, everybody can relate to being in high school and stuff. And this this was the first really, I think, big takeoff popular character female um, Muslim character to. Uh, in high school, superhero in the New York area, New Jersey, to really take off. And it's just – it's charming. It's always been charming. Mm-hmm. And and she's a great character. I, yeah, you're right. It's, I'm sure it will be a movie someday. She has her oh, – yeah. she has a link to um, Carol Danvers, to Captain Marvel. What is that um, link? Um, she's her favorite super – she's Kamala's favorite superhero and her inspiration. In fact, her – and that's why her costume is kind of – Based yeah, on yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the scarf and everything—that's all from Captain Marvel. Okay, and and early in the previous series, uh, Kamala meets her. Kind of Captain Carol kind of mentors her at one point during Civil War. One of those things they have a falling out, which was was really well mm. done, very realistic. That's well, because Captain Marvel was a real jerk hole for that whole Civil War too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and it's. It's been a great series, consistent all the way through. This was actually legacy numbering fifty-eight. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what was your number? Um, I'll give this an eight. I love talking to you, Roman. You're so great. No, oh, you no no no. You're great. These are the old days, buddy. You and I used to run. You and I used to run this place <laughs> back in the old back times. When we were back in the tiny corner. little closet upstairs. Back upstairs, those rickety stairs. Oh. Um, let's talk for a second about Superman number nine by Brian Bendis and Ivan Reese. <laughs> With the crime syndicate. Crime syndicate, which we love. Let's not forget this weird three-page daydream that Superman had at the beginning. Seems to oh, be at some yes. part in the future where the good guys have won and everything works out. It's World Peace Day. Yeah, and he's got like three kids. Yeah, like what is Or four. <laughs> it, well, is I think Lois is maybe... Yeah, girl that's Lois. Yeah. And then there's some younger girl that's her, his son. Yeah, I don't know. That's It is a throwback to kind of classic, like, big, all the superheroes are here. Yeah, but, like, what? I don't has, know what's going on with it. It has nothing to do with yeah. anything. I don't, yeah. So that kind of confused me. But uh, mostly we just got this follow-up on, at the end of the last issue, John Kent, in trying to escape Jor-El, ended up on, is it Earth 3 is the crime syndicate Earth? That's what it always was traditionally. I don't know what it is now in Rebirth. Although Graham Morrison's story was called Earth 2, right? Yeah, but that's because – that's always been confusing. That was because the Alexander Luther from that Earth, the crime syndicate Earth, he came to our Earth and he said, well, I've dubbed your Earth Earth 2 because, of course, uh, from your own perspective, your Earth is always going to be Earth it's, 1. It's been <laughs> – you know, almost 10 years since I read that. So, yeah, that it. Earth refers to the then current main DC Earth. Well, let's do, <laughs> hey, a side promotion. Everybody listening to this podcast, Roman's also on Infinity Content with Trevor Beaker, who is a wonderful employee at the store for a long time, and he still uh, makes a po- comic podcast with Roman, and then Colton Dion, an amazing subscriber. And the last episode that you guys did, I think last week, was number 10 yep. or 11, but it was uh, Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly's Earth 2, yeah. which... I got to listen to because favorite writer, favorite artist. That was so much fun to do doing that episode and re reading that graphic novel because that's just a it's it's one of those great Morrison graphic novels. And it's yeah. not too weird. It's weird, but not too weird. Yeah. And 
homage to all the classic DC stuff. So uh, if you are at all interested in this book or interested in just like sort of sitting at the altar of Roman and sort of <laughs> the Roman uh, pulpit. Um, ooh, Roman, your ice cream cake is melting, buddy. You gotta oh, yeah. I forgot about that. It's, got it's, that. All, yeah, it's, it's all up. in your it's all over the chair. Jeez. Woofy. It's disgusting. Uh, but yeah, everyone should check that out. Uh, Infinity content. Those guys are, are great. But Thank you. Uh, this issue... <laughs> Basically, Ultraman showed up, took John Kent into this planet that doesn't have sunlight, which all the superhero folk, or well, Superman folk, need, and he tosses him in the center of this volcano, and he's stuck there, and he just uses him as this weird outlet to voice his sadness, frustration, and discontent, like an abusive relationship or something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, John's recounting it, and he would sort of say, like, yeah, like, he would just sort of show up and bring me pigs I had to eat, and he would complain, but sometimes he would just start ranting, and occasionally he would get so frustrated he would cry, and I knew that if I saw him cry, it would be a long time until I would see him again. Mm. I thought that was a really poignant, yeah. interesting, like, character bit. Yeah, yeah, it too. I mean, he was he was embarrassed and wouldn't show up for a while, and he never... He never. Oh, I was gonna say, and he never physically abuses John, but actually he does. Um, yeah, he's just got this captive boy as his outlet for all of his anger stuff that he can't show to anybody else. Right on on the planet, because then they'll know they'll you know he's he's afraid then they'll see my weakness and blah blah blah. We've talked about pretty much every issue of this series. There's nothing like brand new or huge things to report from this particular issue, but I just love this series. I love the writing. I think the art in this issue is fine. It's not It's not bad, but it's not as special as it has been at different times. Uh, we've got some Brandon Peterson art. Is he the one who does stuff in Astro City? I th- Maybe? I that sounds that very familiar. Is, but... Yeah, that sounds um, very familiar. Um, but we're just waist deep in this series that has just gotten more and more interesting. I used to like this one a lot less than action. I think I gave an issue of this series like a four at one point. Um, we still haven't followed up on the Rogelzar stuff. There's just a bunch of irons in the fire. It's just building, and I, I love the mystery and what John's been up to. And, yeah, I don't know. I'm just super excited to always read this book. Yeah, I am too. And this issue... It isn't quite. I didn't. I didn't. I thought there was going to be more crime to syndicate, and not just Ultraman um, using John this way. I mean, throwing. I mean, it's so cruel throwing him into a volcano and away from solar rays, where he has enough power left that the volcano isn't isn't killing him, but he can't fly out. He can't escape. He's just stuck there. And we didn't get a firm read on how long he was in there. No. But like. And he's not even sure himself. But like. I don't know. Part of me wants to believe, like, maybe a couple years. Yeah, yeah. And Ultraman has some goofy idea that he's going to make Superboy reach Ultraman's idea of whatever his true potential might be. Um, And this characterization of Ultraman was really interesting, Bendis' characterization, because his speech patterns, he makes them sound um, more rough and, and... tumble like he's, instead of the he says da da mm, yeah and that kind of stuff and he's just he just seems like a more thuggish dumb Ultraman because before Ultraman it's always been simply the criminal psychotic version of Superman but yeah. just as smart and everything and Jeff Johns introduced that much more like drug addict version of him where yeah. he's like breaking down kryptonite and sniffing it and snorting it yeah um 
this was very impressive. There's this one page I have, and that's just John's narration. Um, How did boxes. you feel about this? Boxes of text. You know, if that was done throughout the issue, it would annoy the hell out of me. But on this one page, it was so good because you don't. The background is Ultraman, his torso and his face. Full page shot of Ultraman. Yeah, but... and, and the things and his dialogue, but overlaid is the is the uh, text, the text boxes from John, and that's the important message on the page is as John's words. Ultraman is just in the background, including his words is in the background. That's... And like John's narration boxes obstruct. It's just this vertical pillar of, of boxes. You can't see Ultraman's face. You can't even see his chest logo. Yeah. John's boxes are obstructing your view of Ultraman's speech bubbles. And it's just this full-page thing of text. And, you know, I, I'm on record as not loving big bricks of text like this, but a person who always makes me enjoy it is Bendis. I don't ever question reading uh, a huge amount of Bendis dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, that was very well done. And you see um, John's character in this, in this issue, especially how And you, I found myself thinking, boy, yeah, he's Superman's son, all right. Because like he's talking about how uh, on that page, how Ultraman sometimes would just cry. And, and, and John isn't, I mean, despite this situation being trapped in this volcano with this madman crying and blubbering, John doesn't show. I mean, he doesn't talk about his fear or anything like that. He just he Compassion. just talks about yeah, sob blubber. It was so awkward. Yeah, it's like wow, that's such a like casual teenage thing to say yeah. Yeah. in this horrible There's situation. This inherent <laughs> sort of love for people also that John has because he's Superman's son. That it, yeah, it, it's amazing that again we're just dealing with people around Superman, but it further defines Superman's personality. By saying that, like, by being this boy's father, he's imparted these lessons to this, you know, boy, and, and this is how it manifests. And, yeah. And at the end, he finally escapes the volcano, and he finds himself with Superwoman, who on this earth is Lois Lane, his mom. And I don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah, because uh, she's, she's, as we've seen in other incarnations, she's the more dangerous of yeah. the super people on this planet. Yeah, yeah. So can't wait to see where Boy. this is all going. I give this issue an eight. Um, just a great book that every issue makes me more and more happy I'm reading it, and we're waist deep in this series at this point. And uh, it's not it's not gotten worse anymore. I'm still super pumped to be reading it. <laughs> super, super pumped. Super pumped. Uh, you're I'll, good. I'll give it a – I'll give it a – I'll also give it a super eight. It's a good Ooh. score. Oh, next we're doing Amazing Spider-Man number 17, which is also Hunted Part 1, the big Craven the Hunter – versus Spider-Man story. Well, versus Spider-Man and using all the other animal-themed characters in the Marvel Universe. Um, This, like, we talked about the last issue, which was setting up this event. So we've covered a lot of stuff, but uh, on this, so I don't think we need to spend a ton of time here. Kind of like Superman, not a lot of super new to say, but I really like this story. I really like Kraven the Hunter. It's setting up a really, uh, I think, pivotal moment for Spider-Man. It's very Batman Nightfall or Kraven's Last Hunt. Like super or Spider-Man is super sick. He's wounded and Kraven's got a better plan than he uh, is able to combat. And I guess what I was really surprised in this issue about was how much I liked it in spite of how like Roman and I have gone on the record many times <laughs> is not particularly liking Humberto Ramos's art. Uh, again, this is, sorry, Nick Spencer and Humberto Ramos on this issue. Mm, yeah. 
So I, I just wanted to say I was surprised about that. I, I was too, because, yeah, I mean, and I am really liking this despite my reservations. Um, and, yeah, there were a few times, as most issues of Spider-Man where I'm thinking, oh, man, this would be so much more significant if the art was different. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it goes good places, you know, ends up with Spider-Man in his Craven knocks him out. He wakes up. He's in his black suit again. Not not the symbiote, but in a black suit. Yeah, and yeah, and he's in a park and wakes up and he's surrounded by oodles and oodles of animal villains. All the ones that Craven <laughs> kidnapped, and they're all trying to hunt him. And he's trying and yeah, we just don't know where it's going. But Craven and his uh, cloned son are up to no no good. And what I really liked at the beginning was Craven walking around. And talking about how he had died once and he mm. was brought back, like his death wasn't final. And he, he clearly wants to die again. Yeah, and, yeah. And he wants Spider-Man to kill him. And he sort of rests in this coffin so that he can finally return to the death that was supposed to claim him. Just really interesting psychology, really interesting yeah. characterization of Craven. Yeah, because he was fine with being dead because I, I forget, because he completed, you know, the last hunt. Right. Whatever, and thought he had killed Spider-Man, so... Why was Spider-Man in the black costume in Craven's Last Hunt? Was he just was that in the era when it was coming out? Was he in the symbiote? I think it actually was a costume because Craven wears it at one point. Why? Yeah, I think it was because after he found out the black costume was alive, and he you know got it got Richards to get it off him, um, then he was still like, well, you know, I like the look of the black costume though. So he you know he had one made. It's um, one of the best. Yeah, and I think and I don't remember ever. if he was dating Black Cat then or. What, but you know, and somebody else was also like one of his whoever his girlfriend was in was like, yeah, that's pretty that's pretty sharp. You should yeah. continue with the black the black look. Worth mentioning that I also love the Spider Man Black Cat relationship. Hmm. It's so spicy. Yeah, yeah, it's like a real hot pad tie. Yeah, and that'll be fun to see the the that relationship's over, but now. They went through this great thing where she couldn't remember it because of one more day and Mephisto's deal with Spider-Man. And Sp- Peter Parker finally told her to just because it was, you know, not fair to take her memories. Right. And they had some conflict over that. And now they're going to be forced into this adventure together. And, and that'll be interesting. I would much rather have Peter Parker with Black Cat than Peter Parker with Mary Jane. Not yeah. that the women just need to be this sort of whoever person that the male character is, is with or whatever, but it, uh, I just I, I love that the friction of their relationship and the will they won't they feeling of it, yeah. and it it's it always feels just a little bit dirty, Roman. Yeah, well, it's a little it's a little, um, I guess. Le- well, it's it's a it's a little mini version of the Batman Catwoman relationship. Mm, you're exactly right. Yeah. I love that type of relationship. Yeah. Next week we got a new issue of Batman. I'm so fucking excited. Oh yeah, for it. oh yeah. I, love that <laughs> um, I give this book an eight. Not quite a fucking great comic, but very good. If it were not, if it were Nick Spencer back on the art, which I also know you're not insanely over the moon about Nick Spencer, but if it were Nick Spencer, I would say it would probably be sorry, not Nick Spencer, oh. <laughs> uh, Ryan Otley. Um oh. the Ryan Otley art. If it were him on art, I would say it would probably be eight point five or a nine. Yeah. Same thing for me. I'll probably uh, I'll give it a I'll give it a seven point five, and I would give it an eight point five if if it was a different artist. Yeah, <laughs> but Humberto Ramos is a lifer for Spider Man. <laughs> yes. 
Oh, Roman, we've just done the gamut. We've gone through a huge stack of these today. we got one more. One more. What is our final book? Gunning for Hits, mm. a music thriller, issue number three. Um, the artist is Moritat. The writer is Jeff Rogvi. And Casey Silver, who's a friend of some of our subscribers at the store, is doing the colors, letters, and design, if I am not oh, mistaken. Cool. Yeah. I didn't realize we knew people that knew, knew that person. Yeah. This is... Issue three of this book, we've talked about one and two. Django and I are huge fans of the book, and we got Roman to be reading it. And Roman, you read this, and you said... I did. Well, you've um, read all of it now. Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, well, I thanked you, you and Django, for encouraging me to read this, because I wasn't going to, and it's just... You know, I don't know anything about the music industry. Um, Jeff, you're, you're a musician. You have some insights into the music industry that... I'm coming into this completely cold. I'm a huge fanboy, so I <laughs> just read tons about 90s music and 80s music and recording music and record labels and the business that goes into that and sort of the history of tr- you know charting bands becoming famous. Yeah. I'm, I'm, that fascinates me. Yeah, yeah, and see, I have no experience of any of that, and and this is just about a. Um, and I keep forgetting what is an A and R man. What does that stand for? A and R. Oh, I don't remember, but it's basically the rep guy that, you know, yeah. the people who Yeah, yeah he reps sign. bands, reps musicians. And it's about his his latest quest, which is to uh, sign this new up-and-coming young, young, amazing musician. And also there's this, uh, this older artist who's been the last Arts couple of years. Arts and repertoire. Art, Arts, artists and repertoire, I think, is what oh, okay. A&R stands okay. for, I guess. And this older artist um, who's based... To me, it looks like he's based on David Bowie, um, who hasn't had a hit album in a couple of years. He's been blowing his money on drugs and stuff. And it's just this super interesting, fascinating look at what this guy's job is like, what these musicians are like, the whole business side of things, the marketing of it, the whole, you know, it's all just so this money machine. Mm-hmm. And you've got to hit these marks on certain times and, and do this, release this, you know, play these songs how do you sell this yeah record record these specifically for singles to make money new personality in your pocket to rep an album because you know you think about it's like yeah nirvana was nirvana but they also wouldn't have been nirvana if people hadn't been playing their music on the radio because they wouldn't have gotten out there so how do you get people to do that like there's so much it's not just that art is good and therefore it, people will love it. There's the the hidden thing is how do you get that art into the hands of the audience? And there's so many people and steps there. Yeah. And this is kind of all about that weird gray area in between that that's not talked about that's, you know, sort of discredits the idea of the art being this holy thing. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, 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 I mean, of course the creativity is still part of it, but it's kind of the creativity is like the thing over here on the side. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But <laughs> let's do all this. And uh, there, there's the added subplot of um, a body. Uh, he seems like a bodyguard. He comes into the picture and he is from our main character's old life where yeah. he was in the military and then he became kind of a hitman. a hitman. And this guy knows about that. And there was some bad stuff that happened. Our our main character, whose name I keep forgetting. Um, Mills or something? Yeah, Mills. He doesn't want that revealed. So he is forced to take a deal with this guy from his past. And that's in, and that's intertwined with the 
Oh, um, the David Bowie type character with his manager slash maybe girlfriend. Um, and just the incestuousness of the whole business and everything. It's just fascinating. Yeah, I, I love it. And, you know, I, I had mentioned that I was sort of skeptical about the like his military past or his hitman past going into this. That was the thing that interested me less. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just totally agree with Django's. You know, I I think that they are doing it in such a, a intelligent way that it totally serves the story. It doesn't feel like a distraction. No, his past isn't the story, but his relationship with this person who's blackmailing him now is such an important part of this music story. Uh, that part has just made me uh, less and less dubious of it as it's gone on. Yeah, super well done. Yeah, and it's all and it's all. And none of these characters, like our our main guy, Mills, um, you still see that the fanboy in him. Because mm-hmm. whenever – and this David Bowie analog character that Mills gets him involved in, in a deal and that there's certain panels and times when our main character, all of a sudden his eyes are replaced by gold stars where he's just like geeking out over, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it's – you know. The David Bowie character, whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah, and I love that the David Bowie character, they're so aware of how image is important in terms of convincing people that you're cool. And mm. if you're a fan, if you're the audience, if you're buying stuff, you you know, you you need to believe that these people are on a pedestal above you. So they're like, we're almost out of money. Like this whole thing's a ruse. But like, why are we staying in the most expensive hotel in town? And he's like, well, yeah. we gotta, we gotta appear like we're the coolest shit around. <laughs> he hasn't written any songs for this upcoming album that they're trying to get this big record deal for, and you know they're able to convince it to go from ten million to fifteen million to sign him, even though he doesn't have any songs yet. But they're lying about this and all of this. You know, it's it's so much of what burnt me out on the idea of wanting to be involved with music is just sort of realizing that the whole industry of it is this fake social manipulation Mm. thing. But, you know, that end, you know, I don't have any skill. But, (laughs) but, you know, it's it's a gross world to be a part of. I love comics because it's so genuine, although it's got a seedy underbelly as well. But, yeah, there's just this... It's such an interesting look at what it meant to be a musician in the the 90s and it's it's David Bowie and it's yeah. Kurt Cobain and it's all these things and uh I fucking love it and I don't you know if you listen to this podcast regularly you probably know that I'm not a huge uh text piece reader but the text piece of this issue was <laughs> so good it was just sort of all about um you know people who want to be in bands <laughs> and becoming musicians and what happens and like, you know, going from an anonymous band to then getting some stuff played on the radio that then getting a record label interested in you and then getting some studio time. Yeah. But then, you know, that front man gets all the credit and you're the bass player and you just need to hang out there and record stuff and how easy it is to get addicted to heroin and how you get kicked out of a band and like. Yeah. I mean, because there's so much time spent, you know, waiting and, yeah. and, and like re-recording whatever and the other guys are sitting around just bored and, you know. You know, might as well do whatever's sitting there and talk about how the creativity and then, you know, somebody gets kicked out of the band because they're unmanageable or they're bored or whatever and or whatever their problems are. But they're creatively – they added something that made the band what it was then. Right. They kicked that guy out and then the band is never the same. Yeah. They, they, they lost that. It is that idea of like, you know, a band isn't just how good your music is. A lot of it is the energy of the social dynamic of the group. And mm. when you change, like every band, every piece of art is sort of the combination of a bunch of small pieces. 
and you can't keep that all consistent. Sometimes it's just the time of your life. You're 20 and you, you know, you're just, your life is up and you're aspiring towards things. But once you've achieved mm. something that changes and it's not the same or the bass player gets addicted to heroin, he's taken out and you're never quite able to have that fun love of the thing mm. that was there when you had the right sort of social concoction. Yeah. I would say the text piece in this is as wonderful as the issue itself. It is. And it's yeah. it's a couple pages of dense text, so it's and, yeah. great. And so so cleverly titled, too. That just cracked me up. It's, what a it's, mess this town is in tatters I've been back-mattered. What's that I, about? I meant, I meant to Google that. It's a song lyric. What a mess this town is in tatters I've been, and it's back-mattered because it's back-mattered, but the real lyric is what a mess this town is in tatters I've been shattered and i can't remember if that was a kinks he, lyric and he wrote a thing in here about how every letters page is going to have a or every column is going to have a different title sort of loosely based yeah. on the song lyric and you can he's going to make a <laughs> do a drawing where you can win a thing if you guess them all right oh, really it's also a, a <laughs> one of those issues that every issue he does a, like a spotify playlist for the music that you should listen to while you're reading it that is sort of the music he was listening to while he was making it yeah which is really cool and i haven't I haven't gone and listened to this music, and I keep on thinking I, when I re- need to reread this and actually go along with the playlist, and I haven't done it. Um, and I just have to be distracted by the back, the inside back cover, which has oh, just some actual real um, music albums that he's promoting, that they're promoting. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, the art in this one was not quite as great as the other ones. It, it leaned a little bit more. There's various styles, and it goes intentionally cartoony at times and then intentionally more uh, sort of evocative of actual facial expressions and architecture at other times. This had a little bit more of the cartoony stuff in it, but it's still just great. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. This is a book that I think is pretty niche I don't know if it's for everybody, but if you're interested in the music industry, if you're interested in the sort of politics of that um, or what it was like to be a famous band in this era or to be an aspiring musician, this book is one you should absolutely check out. Super well-written, super engaging. Uh, I give this one a 9. Not quite as high. I mean, it's up there. Every issue has been like a 9 to a 10 for me. But, you know, this one, we're in the thick of it. We're in the story. Nothing new brand spanking happened, but uh, just great music stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brian Slade, that's the name mm-hmm. of the David Bowie character, which I love because Slade was a big big band, big musician in the 70s, into the 80s. Um, oh, and Martin is the name of the main, our main character, okay. the A&R guy. Um, I'll give this a 10. This will be my 10 for the oh, week. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> you, didn't give it, you gave another 10. Did I? I don't remember I what it was. So. Was it The Goon? Maybe Outer Darkness. Oh, that was a 10, yes. But yeah, I mean, this is just this, this is easy to say with comics and science fiction, whatever, but this really is a whole new world for me that I didn't know anything about other than being a fan of cool music. I just think it's so fascinating. And yeah, it's totally fascinating. And if you had told me like six months ago, I'd be so into a comic book about, you know, the back, the inner workings of the the, the music industry. I'd be like, come on, I don't care about that. It's just fascinating. <laughs> it's why I, when I was 20 years old, I read every printed Nirvana biography that there was. It's so yeah. fascinating, the machinations that go into making artists famous. You yeah. Know? And, and nobody really talks about it because you just want to assume that, like, well, the art is what does it. But Van Gogh died unknown, <laughs> as far as I know. Yeah. So yeah. He, yeah. he needed a better A&R guy. And all this stuff. I mean, I love the scene where Brian Slade is playing with the young up-and-comer band, and they're all excited about that. 
And then they finally asked Slade to like, because everybody's been wondering if he's got any new material. And he says, right, oh, here's something I've been working on. And they're all like, cool. And then it turns out he's just uh, added some changes to the chorus and stuff of the young, the new artist, the artist stuff. So he's on. just kind of messing with his stuff. He's not doing anything. And then now he gets a big financial cut <laughs> yeah. of this song that they all love because yeah. they're fanboys of him. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you're loving it, Roman. That uh, brings me a lot of joy. Um, guys, I think that does it for episode 123 for us. 123, 124. Yeah, I'll confirm one? that. I think it's 123. Oof. I can't remember. <laughs> Maybe 124. Forgive us. We've been doing it for yeah. over two years now, yeah. so it's, it's crazy. But We're old pros. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being patient with us. It's been a, a crazy month. Django's been out of town a ton, so uh, we're sort of trying to fill in our calendar with different times. But, um, yeah, this one will probably go up a day late, so thank you for that. Uh, if you got a phone call, if you got a message, if you have opinions, if you're reading a book that you liked, we want to hear about it. If you've mm-hmm. got questions, yep. we want to answer them because you know – you know, so much as well as a listener, if you're reading comics, uh, the only thing that makes anybody informed is just that they love a comic book. So you're no less informed than us. So please tell us your opinion. Send us a review. Write us an email. You can give a phone call uh, to our automatic voicemail line. It'll just go straight to a voicemail and you can give it a couple tries. You can send us an audio file, but that phone number is 1-619-663-7336. We really want to hear from you. Hey, Ryan Russell. I think that you're listening. You get you get at me. Send me an email. Send me a review. What did you like this week? I'd like to hear from Ryan Russell, yeah. I'd love to hear from anybody, though. If you're not Ryan Russell, please get a hold of us as well. Uh, we genuinely love everybody listening to this podcast, and we love everyone that comes into our store. So we're so happy to get to have this outlet to grow the family that is the Comics Place in Bellingham. So thanks so much, everybody. I'm Jeff, and I'm just going to get a napkin for Roman's melty ice cream chest. <laughs> We're so happy for this time together. <laughs> I'm Roman, and I, and I am happy for this time together with all of you. And uh, this will probably go up tomorrow, which is Tuesday, March 19th. But that's Django Boren's birthday. It is. And we love him, and he is a family member as well. And we couldn't do all of this without him. So uh, a thank you and a big hug to Django Boren. You should find him and give him a big birthday hug because yep. he is great and he deserves it. So thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.